about grace. Well, actually, we'll learn some more about grace. We're going to talk about it here. We have been discussing the primary values that we hold closely to here at Lighthouse, and we use the acronym LIGHT to reflect what those values are. And we said our number one value starts with the L, and that's probably what? What starts with an L that's a big value? Love, that's right. So love was a, loving is a number one value, and we talked about that. It ties into our focus in terms of our purpose statement, what we're called to do, what we're called to be, all these variety of areas there. And then last week, we talked about inviting. We said there's two different aspects of inviting, and we were able to focus on the first aspect, which is that we are inviting people or people that we desire to meet with. And that's a primary thing for us as Christians. God desires for us to be a peculiar people, but not an odd people. Hey? There's a difference between the two. And people desire to be part of others who recognize who God is and whose lives are changed as a result of that recognition. Uh, today, what I want to talk about is I actually want to focus on the issue of uh, the G area, and that's grace. Grace. And I want to talk about what is grace and how does that fit with truth, which is one of our other values, grace and truth. Uh, how do they walk together? How do they uh, fit in relationship to God's directive to us, in relationship to how we live one to another? So Colossians 1.6 says this, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Why don't you read that with me, okay? All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Grace. Now, we can come up with a variety of acronyms for that term grace. Someone has said it's uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's one way to, to look at it. I like a given renewal at Christ's expense. There's a variety of different ideas for an acronym for it. In fact, that's going to be your homework this week. i tell you, when we get all the way done, I want you all to sit down after the service this week, talk with your spouse, your friends. I want you to come up with an acronym for GRACE, G-R-A-C-E. What's your acronym for GRACE? How is GRACE clarified to you? And use those five letters to bring it about. The book, movie, you know, play, uh, Les Miserables, is actually about two men. One man is a man who is given grace and responds to that grace by giving it out to another. And the other man is a man who is unable to receive it and unable to give it as well. An interesting picture as you walk through this phenomenal presentation of life and of how we respond to life and grace as it's given to each one of us. So what I tell everybody that I get to know, and those of you who know me well know this, I say, you need to learn how to give some grace. So turn to the person next to you and say, you need to give some grace. Now, notice I didn't say you need to give me grace. I said, give some grace there. 
But the reality is, on a regular basis, we need to turn to those who love us and care about us and say, you know, as my son says to me regularly, Dad, you need to give me some grace. I go, right now I want to give you something else. But I'm going to restrain myself, and I'm going to give you grace. You see, true grace, and I'll use that term, true grace, grace in all its truth, is the result of grace and truth walking together. It's the result of grace and truth walking together. You find it in John 1.14 when he says this concerning Jesus himself. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's the key. In order for you to understand grace, you must both receive it and give it. So grace, to be understood and experienced, must be both received and given. You see, grace provides the opportunity and the momentum for renewal in our lives when it's acted upon in truth. But if you don't act upon it, that momentum will fade away and it becomes useless. And you become useless as well. God pours grace into our life and he expects us to use that renewal power to change the momentum of losing into winning. You all understand momentum, right? Those of you who are sports people, you totally understand it. I'm watching the game. My team is down by 21 points, and I'm saying, we might as well go in and just shut off, the, shut off the TV, go in, get something to drink, whatever. We lost. It's over. I walk back, turn the TV back on, and guess what? Momentum has changed entirely, and suddenly my team is up seven points. How did it happen? This is impossible. If you start the game 21 points down, you're going to lose. Well, not if the momentum changes. Amazingly enough, we see this in sports so much. I feel like God's trying to teach us, Lee, it's never over until it's over. (laughs) It's never over until it's over. Lee, understand that when I get in the middle of it, I change everything because I am momentum. I am renewal. I am grace. I am truth. I am all these things. And you must allow me to help you experience these truths in your own life. Well, how do we learn to walk with grace and truth? Well, we have to learn to receive it, and we have to learn to give it. So we give in. That's your line there to fill in. We give in, and we become true grace receivers. We give in, and we become true grace receivers receivers. We give in, we recognize our need for grace and the inability that we have to save ourselves. That is the first step that all of us encounter before God. And until we encounter that, we never move any farther. That's the place that we get stuck in or that we experience the wondrous power, the renewal ability that God brings into our lives. We have to accept the fact that we are unable by ourselves to accomplish what it is that we want to have happen and what it is that we desire to even feel 
within us. So Ephesians says this, for by grace, you have been saved. So you're saved by what? Grace. Inability to save yourself. By grace, you've been saved through faith. That's your choosing. And even that is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. He's saying that you haven't worked your way to the place that now you're able to receive grace. That is not what happens. He says what happens is God gives you a miraculous opportunity and ability to respond to his grace. And at that point in time, you either respond or you don't. And if you respond, you inherit the momentum of God and your life changes from being one that's constantly losing into one that's regularly winning, consistently experiencing the wonder and the power of God, and eventually experiencing a total renewal of life as we take on an entirely new man and we find ourselves talking and walking with God in such a way that life becomes fully meaningful. And that's the extent that we're moving towards. That's where we're moving towards as we live out life here. So grace receiver, you did not save yourself. Better you could not save yourself. Grace defines you. Once you become a Christian and understand this, grace defines you. I am who I am because of his grace. I'm a grace taker. I must take his grace into my life to change what is. I have no choice. I'm not talking about mercy. I'm talking about grace. There's a huge difference between the two. Grace, what God has given us. As grace takes over, all the earthly labels fade. Society labels you like a can on an assembly line. You're stupid. You're unproductive. You're a slow learner. You're a fast talker. You're a quitter. You're a cheapstake on the positive. You're pretty. You're intelligent. You're capable. But none of these things in reality causes us to experience a sense of wholeness and renewal that God desires for us to experience because it's not about what you work at or how hard you work at it. It's experiencing who you actually are. You are who God says you are. You are spiritually alive. You're heavenly positioned. You're connected to the Father. You're to be a billboard of mercy and grace, an honored child. I've been saved by grace. And that's difficult to share with people. Because we live in a world that's caused and created with works. So it's hard to grasp this truth about who it is. That the number one work I've been created to do is this to tell others about God's grace personally. See, that's the number one work that God gives me. Lee, there's only one thing I really want you to do. I want you to tell others around you about how my grace changed your life. That is what I desire for you to be involved in. The ministry of reconciliation is the way that Paul refers to it. That... My life is primarily about being grace-filled, not guilt-filled. And so when I meet others, I pour out grace upon them, not guilt. That I'm more about being than I am about doing. 
See, guilt-filled people give out guilt, expectations about what you didn't do or what you should do or be. But grace-filled people speak about the wonder of God and his work in our lives and the miraculous changes that seem to keep happening despite my lack of ability and understanding. See, grace-filled people are quick to listen and slow to speak because they've been humbled by the reality of God's grace in our life. You see, what happens is when grace comes in, we find ourselves repenting as he talks about in Acts 3.19. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He's saying, this is what I've understood. Peter's trying to tell him that grace, this wondrous thing that God has given us, provides us with the ability, the momentum to turn around where before we could not. And he uses the term repent, metanoia. And it simply means to turn around, to go the other way. See, previously I was unable to, but now I am able because of God's grace poured into my life. And as I repent and turn to God and receive this grace, my sins are wiped out and I find myself being refreshed by God himself. We desperately need some grace. We need to give out grace on a regular basis. We need to receive grace on a regular basis. Don't you like this light going on and off? It's like, <laughs> what I do, Lord, you know? <laughs> the light shines for a short period of time. <laughs> and then reality comes in. I go, yeah, what can I say? We first of all discover grace. And we begin to discover that works are not done in order to become something, but because of his grace within us, we find ourselves able to do works. In fact, we find ourselves unable not to do. It's that momentum shift that happens. Suddenly, I find myself able to love and to show grace to people around me, and I have to choose to do it. See, that's the difficult thing, is that when I get into that situation, I have to choose to give grace, even while people around me are saying, you should what? Not. No, you shouldn't do that to them. Don't give them grace. They'll just run over you again. And you're caught in this conundrum. Okay. What's tough love and what's selfish love? How does God desire for me to respond in this particular area? How can I give some grace in this particular situation? You see, grace receivers understand the truth about life and evil and good and purpose and eternity. And you're able to use these keys that God gives us to unlock truth from his word. And on a regular basis, God says, this is true and this is not. This is productive and this is not. And we go, but, 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 and God says, look it, I'm simply telling you what is. And you can receive that wondrous truth, mix it with grace, pour it out on others or not. It is your 
choice. And grace declares itself over and over again. The desires to free us from the lies that we before may have believed. Jesus said it this way, you are truly my disciples if you keep obeying my teachings. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he begins to say that as you experience walking in this area of truth, you begin to understand that you give out grace to others around you, but you find freedom in your own life to give that grace to those that you encounter. You begin to discover what truth truly is, what is true and what is not. And in that experience, you find yourself set free to respond to others as God has responded to us. If you hold on to his word, if you are his disciples, you'll find yourself not only learning but teaching others. And as you abide and stay there, let it center and penetrate your heart. As you absorb his teachings, you discover light and you're able to see and understand and recognize and go, oh my goodness, now I get it. So Jesus said it a different way. He said, I've come into the world as a light so that all who believe in me will no longer stay in darkness. Now, you've always think, why would you want to stay in darkness? Who would want to stay in darkness? Who wants to be in that, you know, I don't want to believe thing? Well, that's what I call it. I call it the I don't want to believe thing in terms of relationships. I don't want to hear that negative stuff. You're messing up my dreams and my plans. I just want to get married. I don't want to hear the truth. I just, want to, I just want to live this way and do these things and follow this results. I don't want to listen. I want to believe in spite of the facts. You see, but light walks with Jesus, not darkness. He's the executive of the company. He declares us the truth of what's really going on. Any of us that have been involved in company situations, even churches, I don't really want to hear the bad news. I don't want to look at the budget and what came in or didn't. I just want to spend what I need to spend to accomplish what it is I want to accomplish. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to go to the doctor. Maybe it'll go away. After all, time heals all things, right? Go to the doctor and ask everybody who's there if that statement is true. No. Time heals certain things. But I guarantee you, time will not heal your cancer. You need to respond to it, despite the fact that I don't want to face that darkness. I don't want to deal with the lack of communication with my spouse, with the struggle with my child. I don't want any conflict. Jesus says, you walk in the light, you live with the truth, you experience truth, you understand the truth, and you're set free. But freedom is not a place in which everything is hunky-dory. Freedom, even according to God, it becomes the opportunity to serve others around you. So sometimes we turn a blind eye to God's call to his truth. We don't want to believe. 
We turn off the light so that we don't see. We close the book so we don't have to read it. But I just don't believe that, Pastor. I go, well, whether you believe it or not makes no difference. It's still true. And if you continue to choose to resist it, then you're going to experience the opposite of what you want to experience in terms of momentum in your life. We begin to say, I want God to be like this. So you can make your own God who gives light whenever he chooses to. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I guess you wanted to emphasize that point. But the God you make is not a real God. And the God that you make up is not the God that will guide and direct your life. And you won't find freedom when you follow that God. You will find defeat. (laughs) Boom. And darkness. (laughs) Okay, I'll sit down on that note. (sighs) Yeah, Ian, you might want to walk over and see if you can hit that button there. What it is, is we, ha- we have it going blinky or something. So, you can see what you can do. Perhaps you can become like God and bring light into our lives. I don't know. You see, sometimes I'm uncomfortable with truth. Sometimes I don't want to know the truth. Though Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. Now, that cry is that as we receive grace, which is the first insight of truth that we gain, that the Holy Spirit then begins to lead and direct us and help us to understand how life is meant to be lived out and how we are to live it out. See, it's not the truth you want to hear. It's the truth of what truly is. It's not that going to see a doctor and you don't like what he says, you need to go get a second opinion. You see, God speaks to us and he says, this is what you need to do. And we say, I want a second opinion. God says, I don't have another one because he only speaks truth to us. And we can have that truth affirmed through others around us, but it's not a different truth. You see, God desires to save this life that you have. He wants you to um, learn how to get your arms around the truth that is there and experience the freedom of walking with it instead of the fear about what it is. What will happen is as you begin to follow his truth and you begin to live in accordance with him, first with grace and then with the variety of new understanding that he gives you as you study his word, you have these epiphanies. An epiphany is another word for enlightenment. Suddenly you go, you know something, Pastor? I know this is what? True. Now in the midst of that, you always have to remember three things. It's actually only three words, and the words are this, give some grace. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need to give some grace. Give some grace. Some of our problem in life is that we tend to come to a place where we understand some area of truth, and then we immediately expect everybody else to grasp it as well, and to immediately respond to it. And I say, when that happens, you need to learn to give some grace. Because that's the cry of God. It's His grace that pours into our life and that He gives to us freely without charge. And He says, I've given you grace. You are to give that to others as well. 
Instead of crying out, how could they be so blind? You need to ask yourself, remind yourself. Ask yourself, when was I blind? When did I not see this or understand it or respond to it? When I was in elementary school, my mom used to cut my hair. Horrible experience. But still, she would cut my hair. And I remember sitting there, and she would use this term on me all the time. She would say, be still, or I will cut your ear off. Now, I want you to get something. I thought she meant, be still, or I'll cut your ear off. Not, be still, so I won't cut your ear off. And God speaks truth to us, and sometimes we hear, be still, or I'll cut your ear off. And he's saying, be still, or I'll cut your ear. Huge difference in an understanding of what it is God desires to say to us. We need to learn to give some grace, reminding ourselves of who God is. Let's watch this clip and get a little reminder. Grace tends to dispel the noise in our life and replace it with the quietness of God. We need to, first of all, give in to God and quit trying to work for our salvation. We receive the grace that he freely offers. We repent of our old ideas and we turn towards the true truth that God presents to us and gives us the ability to respond to by his grace. So we give in to grace. And then the next thing that I've discovered in my life is we have to give up and become true grace givers. You see, God doesn't stop there. He turns to you and he says, just as I gave grace to you, so you're to give grace one to another. You're to be involved in grace giving, not just grace receiving. So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me, giving grace to those around me on a regular basis as he lives through our actions and our attitudes and other people recognize him within us. So in Corinthians, Paul reminds us again, he says, if anyone belongs to Christ, then he's a new creation and the old things are gone. Everything is made brand new. So we find ourselves becoming grace givers as our natural response to people around us. Because that is the way that God has responded to us. Now we can give grace to those around us. We can grow forgiveness and hope and faith and peace. And we start giving to people who don't deserve it. See, it's not justice, which is getting what you deserve. It's not mercy, which is not getting what you deserve. It's grace, getting what you don't deserve. Getting what you don't deserve. But Lord, when did you see us and see you sick in prison or care for you? And the king will answer, I tell you the truth. Anything you did for even the least of my people, you also did 
for me. My people here. Anything you did the least for my people. Anyone you gave grace to my people here. That's what you were created for, to serve God's children. See, the question I struggle with is how to, who to, and where to. That's my difficulty in relationship to service, which is simply grace's action. So we serve one another on a regular basis. Jesus said, even the Son of Man, God himself, in human flesh, did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if God serves when it's needed, surely we should serve as well. And that's the final picture Jesus gives to his apostles is one of washing their feet and serving them. And he says, as I have Washed your feet, so you are to do what? Yeah, wash others' feet. Serve those uh, around you. You need to give them grace on a regular, consistent basis. That's our calling. Everybody stand. Let's all stand up for a minute. Oh, boy. Okay, now just stand up. Reach your hand out like this. Go and reach your hands out like this, okay? Okay, and then, okay. Put them all out like this and get right behind somebody that's in front of you. Walk behind them. Put your hands on their shoulders. There you go. And rub. Yeah. Rub. There you go. There you go. Oh, you guys. Oh, a little, little stronger. There you go. That's good. You're doing good. You're doing good. Come on. Get in there. Get in there. All right. You guys are doing it. It can be any way. Oh, that feels so good. Isn't that nice? Okay. Stop. Doing about face. Just doing about face. And rub the person who just gave you a rub. Bout face. Take care of the person you just, just gave, took care of you. All right. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, that's good. Now sit down. That's good. Sit down. Yeah, they want another minute. Okay, now, now you have just been served. You have just been served. A lot of us spend most of our life searching for self-esteem, for self-worth, for significance. We want to feel good about who we are and what we are, but you're looking in all the wrong places. You don't get self-worth from success or status. You don't get it from sexuality, and you don't get it from your salary. The Bible says you get self-esteem from one area. Do you know what area that is? Service. Service. As you serve others. All the smart guys figured it out early. Einstein even said, I don't know what you're going to do or who you're going to be, but I do know that the only people that will be happy are those who learned how to serve others. Whatever you do, you must Learn how to serve others in that in which you are doing. You see, the cost of grace changes our perspective on life, and it shows us how to respond to life regardless of what is thrown our way. Suddenly, life becomes something that I'm called to give grace to others and to serve them on a regular, consistent basis. 
that that's how I respond. I deal with the interruptions of life as a recognition of a call to ministry. Healthy people are called to serve who? Hurting people or sick people. Jesus said, I didn't come here to take care of the healthy. I came here to take care of the hurting, the sick, the struggling. That's what healthy people are called to do. Jesus teaches the truth that we're called to serve one another. The Son of Man came to serve you, to give up his life as a ransom. You are called to serve one another. All of you who are leaders, he tells them, must learn to serve others. That you lead through the process of service. That that is your calling, that's your understanding. After he teaches this truth, we come to Matthew 20, just a few passages away. As Jesus and the disciples were leaving Jericho, where he'd been teaching that truth, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. They heard that Jesus was going by. They couldn't see him. They heard that Jesus was going by, and they cried out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebukes him. says, shut up. Be quiet. But Jesus stopped. And he called back to them through the crowd. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? (laughs) Now that seems like kind of a callous statement. Two blind men sitting by the road. Lord, help us. What do you want me to do? Give us our sight. Okay. And he responds to them. And he heals them. And he gives them back their sight. It's interesting to me as I I read through the Gospels, the more I read, the more I find Jesus being interrupted in the midst of his ministry and a miracle happens. Time after time after time. First miracle. Wedding in Canaan, remember? First miracle. How did that happen? Yeah, his mom said, Jesus, take care of the problem. He's going, it's not my time, mom. She doesn't respond. She just gives him the mom look. Do I need to go back to the birth in the stable? Oh. Changes the water into wine. Interruptions and where he's going and what he's supposed to do. And it continues on. This marvelous response of Jesus to interruptions in his life that he recognizes as the ministry that God the Father calls him to on a regular basis. Until you cry out to God, you won't hear him responding back to you. Or my greatest comment, even God says, ask, and it'll be given you. Interruptions. All these people he healed, the blind man, the lame man, the sick people, the paralyzed man, the dead child, all of them, interruptions. So instead of following the steps of Jesus, this week maybe what you want to do is open up the Gospels and follow the stops of Jesus. When was he stopped and how did he do? 
a pastor who founded the Methodist Church in the Wesleyan structure said this, I want to do all the good that I can do by all the means that I can, by all the ways that I can, and all the places that I can, all the times that I can, to all the people that I can, as long as I can. Service, serving, responding to interruptions as a recognition of God's movement in our lives. So that when people come up to us and say, I have this struggle and I'm hurting with this area here, I'm not sure what to do. Instead of saying, as many as do, I'll pray for you about that. And some of you do later. And many of you don't. Okay? I admit it. I forgot. So this is what I do now, as most of you know. When you tell me things like that, I st- uh, what do I do? I stop and say, let's pray right now. And some of that person will go, what? what? Let's just pray right now. Let me pray for you. And you pray for them and ask God to do something specific and ask Him to give you the words. Because some of you say, well, I don't pray very well. You're talking to God. You don't have to pray well. Just say, Lord, help him. Lord, help her. Lord, get in the midst of this situation. Show yourself. Do a miracle. Interruptions or opportunities from God to give some grace. See, that's what prayer is. I need to give them some grace. I need to pour into their life because this grace right now is a declaration of God's presence and love. It's not stuff. It's the prayers of grace. Last thought. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? We all remember that one, right? Okay. And it's Jesus responding to the lawyer who says, who is my neighbor? It's a typical lawyer, isn't it? They're always like, I'm, no, I know when my head went, I'm not going to go there. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so they're, they're trying to enunciate a word or a statement when they all know the truth. So Jesus lays out this entire story, and he finishes the story, and he says, who was their neighbor? The one who helped. Because it's not an issue of who is your neighbor. It's an issue of who you interrupted by and called therefore to help. That's your neighbor that you're called to serve. And nobody else. You don't have to respond to the crying shows on TV. <gasps> You've got to help all these children that are dying. I go, I know they're dying, and I feel bad about that, but I'm not sure this is really God telling me to get in the middle of this thing. What I am responsible to do is those children that I walk up to and they're hurting and struggling, I'm responsible to to them because that's my neighbor. That's the one I'm responsible for. That's the one that I have to work through and figure out what to do and how to do it and give some grace to them. See, the calling of grace is costly. It's a calling to a narrow road. It's understood and experienced, but it also must be received and given. You only understand it. You only experience it when you receive it and when you give it. Grace provides an opportunity for renewal, but it has to be acted upon in truth or it will become 
useless. The momentum shift is there, but you must act on it instead of saying, well, you know, we'll just try to do better next game. We're going to quit now because it's the third quarter and we're down three touchdowns and there's no way we're going to win. And the announcer says, unless there's a change of momentum, because they've all experienced it, they've all seen it, this miraculous thing that seems to happen. And many of you will probably see it today as you watch the playoffs. You'll see the Broncos win. (sighs) Because of a change of momentum, right, Bob? And we'll go from there. You know, I don't know who's going to win. I wish I did. No, I really don't. It's sure fun to watch, though. These marvelous athletes involved in this test that involves courage and tenacity and never giving up. Grace is given. Jesus said it this way, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life to serve others, to serve God, to receive and give grace, he'll find it. (laughs) That's what happened to me. Wow. I found life when I thought it was all lost. And God desires to do the same for each of us here. And many of you experience the same thing. He says, give some grace. So here's your assignment for this week for you to experience. First of all, I want you to ask God to show you somebody you're supposed to give grace to. Remember, grace is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. It's God's renewal at Christ's expense. In this case, it's at your expense. It's at your expense. Say, Lord, who am I supposed to give grace to? Somebody owes you some money, and they're hurting, and they're struggling, and you need to walk up to them and say, you know something? I know you owe me fill in the blank. And God spoke to me this week, and he said, I just need to give you grace, and I want to I relieve you of that. I'm okay. I don't need that. And you're, consider that gone. Take that weight off your back. And they're going to say, What? Are you crazy? Say, no, I just want to do that. I'm like, what happened to you? Yeah, I encountered God once again. I was reminded of the grace that he gave me, and he calls me to give that to others as well. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to sit down before or after. And you can even think about this as we do this song, because I'm going to ask Pete to come up now. I want you to take the acronym GRACE, G-R-A-C-E, and I want you to write it out for you. What is it to you? What does it mean? I said God's renewal at Christ's expense. You could say redemption. Anything you can come up with. I want you to sit down and think about this. Say, God, give me an acronym for this, and next week I want you to hand it in to me so I can use it in my next message and do a lot better job. And I will. I actually will. You give it to me. Those of you who do really good, I'm going to use that later. And you'll go, hold it. I gave pastor that acronym for grace. Well, give me some grace, okay? Give me some grace. Father, thank you so much. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is to be able to to sit here, to stand here, to share, to be involved in a declaration of who you are and what you've done in our lives. We thank you so much for the grace that you've poured 
into our lives. We remember that day when we recognized that we desperately needed forgiveness, that we were people who were involved in brokenness and in breaking other people's hearts and lives. And our sin had become so huge, it was destroying us. And today, there's some here today, Lord, we just come to you and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. I just don't know what to do. But as we believe in you, as we recognize that you died on the cross for one reason and one reason only, so that I could have a relationship with God, so I could have forgiveness of my sins, so I could find myself being able to receive and give grace to those around me. And so, Lord, we confess you as our Lord, not just our Savior, but our Lord. We declare that you are God. You are the one who provides truth for us to live by. Today we commit ourselves to do just that. Cleanse us from sin. Make us new. As only you can. We ask that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.